Amen. <laughs> Praise God. So, yeah, I figured he's just singing a little late. That's all. So he's catching up to where the angels are. Praise God. Amen. Yeah. He said, one more bar. Give me a six pack while you're in there. Huh? That's right. Go ahead. Make it a dollar. Praise God. So uh, today we're going to talk about constraining him to stay. Constraining him to stay. Sometimes we have to constrain Jesus to stay in our midst and in our presence, and that's a glorious thing because there is much that comes out of it. It is a privilege to have the Lord in our lives. And, uh, you know, we, we have to always be aware of that. You know, we, we really do. We have to make ourselves stay focused on what's important, and that is what the Lord is about. And so there are so many different ways God has of revealing himself to us uh, and showing us who he is coming in the midst of us and, and, uh, and uh, you know, doing extraordinary things. Sometimes it's very simple things that would not get done if it weren't for the hand of God, you know, the mighty hand of God in our midst. And so I think it's always good to look for God, look for him, uh, pursue him, be in the hunt of where God is because he is certainly all the time in our midst. And, uh, but he also wants to reveal himself to us. There's things that he, you know, you just don't say Jesus is here. Uh, we need to acknowledge his presence and get him uh, uh, to reveal to us the things that we need to know. And so uh, with that, uh, turn to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 24. And it's a familiar story to many of us. And how many of you know familiarity breeds contempt? You know, what's familiar sometimes gets to be commonplace and then we trot, under, trot it under our feet and so forth and so on and don't really focus as much on the presence of God uh, as we need to. And so when we get in the midst of the things of God, it's good to give him our full attention, uh, to seek what he's there for, give him, uh, uh, you know, full sway give him authority, preeminence, all of that, because he is king and lord of all. And so it's always good to not take God casually or for granted, but to look for his presence, honor that, and then seek to receive a revelation of Christ. And, uh, and that's what really we are seeking. Many times we think we're looking for things or um, events to happen, blessings, as we call blessings. You know, when you say the word blessing, everybody thinks of something material. That's just the way the human mind works. But Jesus said, blessed are you when, you know, you're persecuted. Blessed, I mean, you, you don't look for a blessing and persecution, but it's there. Uh, when people lie on you and say all manner of evil against you because you're a Christian, because you name the name of Jesus, uh, you are blessed. And so we need to see blessings in different ways. And so we're going to talk about a couple of people who uh, found that blessing uh, in, in, uh, in just in, in seeking God in, in just the normal way that he sought after. If you turn to Luke 24, starting in verse 13, it says here, um, uh, let's see, what version did I read? I'll go with this one. <laughs> It says, now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, 
and that's about seven miles from Jerusalem. So it's not a big, you know, they walked everywhere back in the day. So Emmaus, you could say, really is kind of a suburb of Jerusalem. We're not far from the holy city. As they were walking, they uh, talked with each other about everything that had happened. So among the people who were disciples and believers, the events of the last three days was, you know, the buzz story. You know, everybody was talking about what had happened with this man, Jesus, that we thought, emphasize, we thought. Amen. Sometimes we think in error. Got me? So one of the reasons that everybody's talking about him is because of the high level of disappointment that people had in their personal expectations of what God would do, what God would do, about who God, what he would look like, what he would do for them personally. Uh, Many of them, and you know his disciples were included, people in his inner circle had wrong ideas about him. They thought he was going to liberate them from Roman rule. They would have a revolution right there in the city where uh, the disciples uh, were even uh, uh, arguing about who was going to have the most power in the new kingdom. Uh, We want to sit, we're brothers, we want to sit on the right hand or the left. Well, if that had been granted to them, they'd have been pushing each other out of the, the seat. You understand what I'm saying? So once you get there, if your motives are wrong, once you get to a certain place, if you don't correct your wrong motives, you're going to want more of a wrong thing. And so Jesus tries to come in and correct. He constantly tells them, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a holy kingdom. I can't give out, you know, special seating. You know, right hand, left hand, I, I know you all want to sit on the throne, but we don't have room for all you people, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> and, it, and then finally he says, it's not even in my hands to, to release that. And so as much as they are looking for a natural government, Jesus is telling them, it's, that's not it. Even when he was being crucified, he told uh, um, uh, Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, you know, in, in denying that he was going to do anything to overthrow a natural government. God's government is so much higher than natural government, why would he even bother? He's already king and lord of the universe. Why bother with these now? If these governments don't line up with God and, and, they, and he reaches his limit as to what he's going to tolerate, they will come down. But because they must all bow to the will of God. And many times, evil governments play right into the plan of God. So you never know what God's going to do. But I know one thing, people, if, if God's people will cry out for righteousness, then his government prevails. His kingdom is not visible. He said that many times. It's an invisible kingdom. And so we have to accept and understand that there is a kingdom here that is very much a part of what goes on in the natural realm, but it is far superior to the natural realm. 
And that is why God has to reveal himself to us because it's not visible. So these revelations have to come in a certain way at certain time to people based on certain things that God has in mind when he starts revealing himself to us. So he, he says here uh, that they were, as they talked, they discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleophas, he's the brother in the group, Cleophas, asked him, are you the one visiting Jerusalem who does not, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? So they're rebuking him because he's asking them what are they upset about, and they say, you mean you haven't heard? You're the only one who's not upset <laughs> about what just went on. Sometimes you might be the one person that's holding on to the promise of God and the revelation of God. Well, you got to hold on because this is very common with people relating to the things of God. God will start moving and doing stuff, and people are still praying and asking God to get involved. They miss the day of their visitation every single time. They're looking over here in the natural for something that they have been told it looks like, and then their God is, and you find you don't know anything at all. It doesn't look like that at all. It looks like what God says it looks like. Jesus disguises himself many times so that he can appeal to the hearts of men. And you got to know that. It, it, it's like 99% of the churches, the people don't know what they're called to do. They think that as long as, well, I, I know I'm, well, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't call it a calling, but I do have yada, 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 and, and I, I do this and I do that. They never, people are never pinned down to have to produce, to have to conform, to have to do anything. We like being free to just roam around from church to church. We get offended about something they preach or about, you know, or we just bored or somebody says, well, there's a new church down the street. We can go there instead of praying. You know, act like it's important. Act like it's life changing. It's going to be uh, it's going to be something that is going to change or anything to do with God in your life is life changing. It is extremely important to pray about where you belong and pray about these things, what to do. If you don't know how to pray about things, understand this, that if, if God feeds you in a certain place, go back and get fed again. You know what I'm saying? But don't waste your time in a place that where they play church games and they just, they never, you know, I was so struck by uh, Pastor Apostle Daryl's testimony about, you know, a nice faith church. You would think people could go there and get taught. He tries to apply for the, the, the ministry school, gets turned down. The pastor tells him he's called to be a janitor. You know, I mean, seriously. Everybody can lay hands on the sick. Everybody can preach to God. Everybody's got a test. How dare you relegate somebody to something like that, and they have deity inside of them. 
You know, it makes you want to go down the street and strangle people. Just, you know, just go find them and hide out there in the bushes somewhere where you can see them getting in their car and <laughs> go pop them real good. How dare you try to destroy God's inheritance like that? You know, the least you can do as a preacher is build them up. Think, brother, your job may not be here, but I know God's called you to greatness because God lives inside of you. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, but <laughs> that was an aside. That was free. <laughs> but, but here these individuals are. They are upset. Uh, they're upset. And, and because they never really listened what Jesus was telling them. See, you can be in an atmosphere where the word's being preached, and if you want to hear a certain thing and it doesn't come up, it'll it'll shock you how fast you shut your ears down. Or if they, if things are going well with you this week, you're not in hot water nowhere. You know what I'm saying? We can just skim through the service. Take a little nap, wake up. Oh, it's time to go. Let me go home and get to what I really want to do with my day. You understand what I'm saying? Ah, that's humanity. That's human. We can't wait for service. Yeah, we just going to dinner tonight. Ah, all giddy, giddy, giddy. And God's right here in the midst trying to bless you so that won't be your last supper. Huh? Seriously. And this is very common, and Jesus knows it. People do not pay attention. They're there for what they want, and let's skip everything else. You know, it may not be your turn. The sermon might, well, it's always for you. I believe that. It's because if you're sitting out there, the Holy Spirit sees you. You've got things you don't know you need yet. So you could be preparing for something that's coming, and you don't even know it's coming. You know, he's helping you not to get blindsided when the devil, you know, you go walking in the house, you, you know, hunky-dory, and the devil's right there and says, bam, hit you right in the face with a two-by-four. Huh? Oh, yeah. So Jesus appears to them. And the Bible says, where two or more gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of you. So he's there all the time. This, this account of him being there is more of an amplification of the fact that he is there with them and they're talking and saying things that they think are important to say, giving their spin on everything. Now, just because Jesus is there in the midst of you, it doesn't mean he's in charge. He's in charge if you let him be in charge. If you just want to complain and talk back and forth, he'll just sit there and watch you. Huh? He's there uh, on call in case you're going to call on him and acknowledge him being there and let him have preeminence the way he's supposed to have it. Got me? But he can be right there and you not even be aware that he's there. But he is concerned about everything that concerns us. He is very much so. But you have to invite him in. This is still a faith operation. Faith invites him in. Faith is the desire to hear from God and to let God have his way in these situations. So they talked him up. 
in a, in a way, you know, that brought him into focus and brought him more prominent. The more you give, give Jesus, make him the center of your conversation, the more he gets involved in it. Until at some point, you get to a place where you run out of talk, and then he shows up. You got me? Now, he could show up sovereignly in the midst of anything, but he would rather go by the rules. And the rules are, if you are gathered in his name, he's there with you, but he must be invited in to the conversation. In other words, you got to get done with your little stuff. You talking about your whining and complaining, and this ain't right, that ain't right, yada, 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 yada. And then just take a breather, and this little voice goes off in you and says, but the word of the Lord says, huh? You just sat here and wasted all that time running your mouth, carrying on like there's no nothing's going to help you. You know, he'll let you do it. But at the end of the conversation, you've got to hear that witness from the Holy Spirit must come to you about that conversation. See, he's concerned about everything. You don't just run off at the mouth and God don't have anything to say about it, any input whatsoever. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits. And so if you don't get a witness, a confirming witness that that conversation was accurate and there was truth in there, you'll get a conviction that there's something wrong with that conversation. You need to get over into repentance so you can get it straightened out. And so this is how Jesus comes to them to reveal himself to them. They talked him up in a way that let Jesus know he needed to reveal himself to them. And many times our conversation is so uh, void of truth and accurate information that we draw Jesus in so that he needs to see he will not have his children ignorant. God would not have his children ignorant. He's not going to have you walking around deceived. So when you have a conversation that has no truth in it, the Holy Spirit will convict you. Listen, there's something wrong here. Now let me show you exactly what's going on here. He's the author and finisher of our faith, so he has to intervene in these things. He's not going to leave you stupid forever. That wouldn't be right. He's walked in, make you watch you make all kind of mistakes and errors and stuff and be wrong in your judgment and wrong in where you're going. He's there to help us, lead us, and guide us like a good shepherd. So these people no doubt are inquiring with sincere hearts. I mean, they... They're perturbed about this. They're perplexed. They know something's wrong. They're not sure what it is. But they're recounting all of their knowledge about what happened. And Jesus finds some gaps in their knowledge. He finds some lack of understanding. He finds some misunderstanding. In verse 15, it says here, (coughs) uh, Jesus began to draw near to them. So as you begin to talk about God and and get involved in the things of God, God begins to draw near to us. So Jesus, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now it says their eyes, the King James says their eyes were holden or darkened, and they did not recognize him. Why do you think they didn't recognize him? Could it be something in their conversation? 
See, the darkness that they couldn't perceive him came from what was they were saying, came from their conversations. So when you start speaking things that aren't true, speaking doubt, unbelief, that was the biggest problem they had. They were doubting and not believing what Jesus had told them about the event. See, there are different ways you can put things together. If you're building on truth, whatever God tells you about something will hold, no matter what the circumstances look like. Jesus told them, I'm going to have to suffer many things. They're, I'm going to be put to death, but I'm going to what? Raise up the third day. So instead of them looking for a resurrected Christ, they're complaining that they haven't, they haven't a lot of these things that have transpired are bad news and not good news. Well, if God tells you, if Jesus says, I'm going to die, that should be good news. Unless you're looking for something else. See, they don't want a dead Savior. They want a living Savior. They've got a living Savior, but it didn't happen the way they wanted it to. They wanted a carnal situation where he would stay alive. They wouldn't have to go through this deeper search for him see when he dies and they think he's supposed to be alive you got two choices you can believe what he said or you can believe what you see and they believe what they see when you get symptoms in your body the bible says by his stripes you were healed you either believe what he said or you believe what you see got me so we all are in this boat. We all do the same thing. you got a choice. You hold on to the word of the Lord and believe that everything he said is true. He said, I'm going to die, but I'll raise up on the third day. Everybody sees him dying, but they don't see the resurrection. So they're living by natural and what they see. They're not living by his word. To be honest with you, most of them were never living by his word. They were mostly living by what they, we see the miracles. Oh, you can feed 5,000 people. Oh, you got a kingdom you're talking about. We like all of that. But they never really held on to his word. And that's what's most important. So Jesus begins to draw near to them. And they said, uh, he asked them, he said, why are you, what things are you discussing as you're going along? And they stood still with their faces downcast. One of them said are you the only one visiting jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these three days he said what things they said about jesus of nazareth now this is where you find out what you really believe he was a prophet no son of god no promised messiah he was a prophet know that by his mantle what he did what he said he spoke the words of God mighty in word and deed before God and all the people the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him but we had hoped we used to hope we had hoped huh? that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel and what's more, it is the third day since all this took place. 
in addition some of our women amazed us they went to the tomb early this morning but did not find his body they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive so we got all the facts right but we got our faith wrong see they've got all the facts but they're not mixing them with faith so that they can believe in fact it's probable that they never mixed anything jesus said with faith they were all spectators you know you know the deal we all go to a benny hen meeting and everybody's looking nobody's really invested in faith they're looking to see oh who got healed who that it's all a spectacle to them and it's never an investment with all those people that have visited his crusades over the years you can't tell me that some of those people can't get out and lay hands on the sick themselves if they're paying attention to the right things because that's for believers to do we're not to be spectators all of our lives we're to be involved in the work of the ministry we're to get out and give our testimony i'll have a testimony that you may not you must not be saved maybe go get saved and then you'll have a testimony and then you can come back and see we're always looking when people say that i know exactly what they mean it's not spectacular huh well, why don't you tell about all the years you was a holy hoe in the church and went with everybody's husband or tried to get everybody's man, and then one day you got caught and you fell on your knees and asked God to forgive you in the quiet of your bedroom where nobody saw. Why don't you give that testimony? And see, that's a whole lot of people's story, but you don't hear it told very much, do you? But I saw it but you can still go and preach the gospel. <laughs> Let that be the one you tell somebody when God said, now you tell her because she really need to hear your story. And it was, you got 15 women at the well sitting on the front row. And I said, get back to your pastor. Present, for present front row excluded. I was talking about the mothers of the church, and now they got their 70s and 80s, and they're wearing white and all that kind of stuff. But you saw them 30, 40 years ago, cutting up in front of the preacher's face, cussing him out, cussing all the deacons out. But God, amen, but God. <laughs> it's the truth. You know, uh, what's her name? Juanita Bynum got famous off of her testimony. And and to be honest, people tell me that knew her say, oh, she had to write a book and give her testimony because she messed the whole church up 15 different times. She was the cut up of the church. But see, when, once she got honest before God, God elevated her because she was honest and she gave her testimony. She warned people how easy it is to be a backslider and be a consistent church member. And so these things are important, you know, that we, we always be honest, be truthful, but mix a testimony with faith, folks. You, these, this is for believers. You must mix what you hear with faith when you hear God's word coming forth. So this is a problem with the believers during that day. It's a problem now. 
we sit and hear the word we're exposed to the word we're exposed to all these things of god but they make very little impact because we do not mix the words we hear with faith and so jesus drew near to them he uh he always comes when we are seeking truth and and even though these men were full of a lot of unbelief there was something in them that was reaching out to god and jesus detected that he's not so much concerned about your words because what he's bringing will cut through all that nonsense see he knows as the author and finisher of our faith he knows what he's going to have to do to get faith into us but he must respond to a heart cry and and clear up our ignorance and confusion so that we can believe remember the the woman the w- the best example i always think when i think about this is the the uh, Syrophoenician woman with the daughter that was sick was was uh, she said her de- daughter had devils and and Jesus says well it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to dogs and and she said yeah but they, you know the dogs would have see he knew deep down in her heart she wanted her daughter healed and see that stirs up compassion in him but he's also got to get her faith jump started and get her faith activated. Because what's holding her down is she thinks she's not worthy because the Jews refer to her people as dogs. And so she's got, I'm a dog, so won't do it because I'm a dog. So he calls out that dog that way. He said, okay, dog, what you going to do? She said, wait a minute, don't just call me a dog. I know my daughter, and she's cool, you got it. See, he released her faith. Before it was pinned down by that mentality of she was a dog and couldn't get anything from God because of what people told her. So what are you going to do now that the king of glory comes and points that thing out to you? Are you going to repent of it and get that out of the way and let your faith come through and demand your daughter be healed? And he says, "Go, hey, you got it. Go your way for this saying your daughter is made whole. On home because she's straight now mama you got your faith right and that's all jesus ever did with people was get them to use their faith if your faith was being hindered by doubt unbelief discouragement whatever jesus comes to you and yanks you out of that and pulls you into faith that's where you belong you don't belong discouraged you don't belong in the dumps you don't belong disheartened you don't belong there you belong in faith and in joy and in life so he holds our souls in life so that we can live and be a part of what his kingdom is partaking of you don't get a time out in god's kingdom care how bad you are how crazy you act and how mean you get sometimes you don't get a time out you get an opportunity to repent and get it let's get to getting you see all these sinners out here who need the word you have, and you're in there moping and whining and can't get on up and let's get to getting them. And that's the way these men were. They were downtrodden. Why? Because they didn't believe. That's the only thing. They had all the facts lined up. They said, listen, he said he was going to die. We thought he was going to be. He was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. Well, when he raised up, you would have to believe he's the son of God. See, that's got to be the capper to convince everybody. Because all along, everything that's prophesied about Jesus has come to pass, except they can't get with the fact that the nutty women is always always running behind them and getting everybody in trouble. 
them sisters always arguing about who's going to sit up Jesus' feet and who's going to feed the people. You know, they remember that stuff, but they can't remember what Jesus said about himself. See, always comes in response to a heart cry, the heart that's crying for him but still confused. They couldn't see him because of their unbelief. They said their eyes were clouded or holded. They couldn't see. They they had stuff in their minds that discouraged them. They themselves they said there was no hope. So he couldn't reveal himself to them with that cloud of unbelief, doubt, discouragement. You can't get. That's why the Lord tells us. Remember David, all the trouble he was in. He led those men around, and they had confidence in him for uh, more than thirteen years running for from Saul. But then it gets when it gets to your stuff, that's when you're gonna find out who really believes God and who don't. Huh? You see people they they leave a church, backslide, all this because of one little answer to prayer they didn't get. Like God kept it from them. Or the preacher taught them wrong. You understand what I'm saying? Well, how is it that you've been living off that preacher's words for all these years? You kept the job even though you weren't doing a good job on the job, huh? The church paid your rent. Nobody knew you didn't have, you have, you know, got your utilities turned back on, all that stuff. That was cool. But when it comes to this one thing, you let the devil bug you about it. Huh? Then you leave and don't even go to church. See what I'm saying? What you getting now? Huh? You do better just staying put and hoping something might happen one day. People are nutty. Fall out with you because of their lack of faith. Uh, let's call it like it is. You done fainted. There's so many scriptures in the Bible that tells you not to faint. Uh, why you think they're, they're in there for you? Because we'll all faint if you give us opportunity to. But what separated a leader, David, from the men was he knew how to encourage himself in the Lord. I mean, you can have just one skill and do it consistently, and that will cause you to rise above everybody else in the situation. <laughs> that one thing you do right will keep you alive. Well, I'm a witness. Huh? No, I, I always knew how to crawl in my Bible. If things got tough, I shoot, I crawl up Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, y'all my boyfriends tonight. Huh? Tell me something. So I mean, seriously, you got I, I'm, you got to have a go-to thing you do to snap you out of that nonsense and get you back over in the realm of the spirit where you can hear from God. You don't stay over there moping and acting crazy. And my moping days ended when I got off my last tranquilizer. <laughs> I graduated from the last of my seven-step programs, <laughs> and the twelves too. You know that. If you did seven steps, didn't get you right, they gave you 12, five more, you had 12 steps. And all of them, huh? <laughs> but I remember the day I got off medication, supernatural. You know, God gave me a scripture. I was uh, reading, uh, now this is the thing, those little daily words. I didn't know them people was cult people, you know. But they fed me. I didn't have nothing. You understand what I'm saying? 
But the word is the word. I don't care who prints it. You read a scripture, that scripture is for you. And so I read that little scripture, and and uh, I looked at it, and I used to, <laughs> I can like this too. I guess I might as well tell it all. I like numbers. I used to play numbers. I used to count them. Numbers was important to me. And I looked, and I said, it said Isaiah 55, 11. And I said, oh, okay. Well, that's 55 milligrams of this pill I'm taking for 11 days, and I don't take any more. And it was God, because I counted down my 11 days. On the last day, I didn't take any more. And the doctor had told me, he said, I've never treated anybody who's been on this medication for this long. He said, you're going to get sick. You're going to have withdrawal. You're going to have this, that, and the other. And I told God, I said, you know what, God? I don't believe that's you. I said, now, he might know something about this stuff, but he don't know everything. So I said, can you please get me off this with no withdrawal, no nothing, no. And I looked up, and there was my prescription. I took it and never took any more again. Amen. My last prescription was filled in 1985, and I, rem I, rem I put that date down because it was five years that I had been sick with depression. I got sick in 1980. It was 1985 when God freed me up from that. Amen? So listen, I know about fainting and getting back up again. I know about getting discouraged and, and keep on going. Let's go another day. Something in you says get up and go another further, go another day, and that, you know, you can do those things. That's all you got to do is get up. Once you get up, the rest of it is up to God, but you got to get to getting up. You know what I'm saying? I ain't going to do it. ain't going to just carry you around. Huh? <laughs> you ain't that sick. You ain't that crazy. Amen. So Jesus draws near to them, and they, expo they expound to him everything that they know. You can have knowledge but no revelation. If you don't mix your knowledge with faith, you get no revelation. As all these people can quote all these scriptures and go, go to hell quoting scriptures. You understand what I'm saying? Because they never pressed in to get a They never mixed it with faith. To them, it was just something to expound to somebody, a little pride thing. So they begin to tell Jesus what they know from uh, verses 17 down to 24. It said, Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women said, but they didn't see Jesus. So I guess Jesus said, well, okay, if you need to see me, I'll let you see me. He doesn't mind proving himself to us. It's no sin to him. So after they've expounded everything that they know, then Jesus begins to speak up. Now, they don't have a lick of faith. They got faith in them somewhere, but they're hiding it in their doubt and unbelief. Everybody's got a measure of faith, but it's up to you to spend that measure on his word. Just step out and trust that word that you hear and allow God to minister. So they have no faith in his power over death and the resurrection. Now, they have faith in what they saw him do miracles. They, they, wrote, they ran down everything they knew about Jesus. He was mighty. He was a prophet. He was mighty in power. And he did all these things, but we had hoped that here. Now, see, that's where their faith falls short. They believed in the miracles. They believed he was a prophet. They believed all of those things, but their faith runs short at 
does he have power over death? According to Romans 10, the old Roman road, you know, the one we take everybody down, we're going to get them saved. If you believe, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart, what? That God has raised him, you must believe in the resurrection Savior in order to be saved. Everybody had to believe in the resurrection in order to be saved. That's why Jesus showed himself to so many people. You would have people come back and say, we saw him. He's raised up. But their hardness of heart kept them from believing what they heard. Why? The Holy Spirit was not yet given. That gets some off the hook. But over and over again, Jesus had to appear to people after he'd been raised up to get them to believe. That's why he appeared to so many people. They go and tell each other, we just saw the Lord, but they wouldn't believe it. Huh? He had preached and prophesied that he would raise from the dead, but they wouldn't believe. So believing that he had power over death becomes the essential thing. That's the pivotal. Other than that, the Muslim could be saved. Other than that, the uh, you know whoever else believed. Yeah, well, he was a prophet. This same thing the Muslims tell you. He was a prophet. He did miracles. We respect him as a prophet. But is he the resurrected Son of God? No. Allah says no. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? So that's the pivotal. That's the crux. You've got to believe everything about Jesus. And so Jesus then goes about helping their unbelief. So they have no faith in his power over death, no faith in his resurrection. Then they have no faith to operate in resurrection power as part of their ministry. So they have no ministry. So that's why Jesus told them to go and wait in Jerusalem. Don't go preach to nobody. Don't go do anything. You go after he was raised from the dead. It's a whole different ballgame now. And everything's managed through the indwelling Holy Spirit that he comes in. If you believe, you got to believe first that he's raised from the dead. What did he tell Thomas? He said, blessed are you, Thomas, because you saw first and then you believed. But blessed are they, that's us, who believe and don't see. So you are more blessed now than disciples who walk the earth. Because every single one of them almost from beginning to end had to see the Lord alive after he was raised from the dead to believe that he was raised from the only one that didn't was guess who? Take a stab. Glaring at you. The only different one. The one who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he believed and he didn't see. That's why he got so much revelation. That's why revelation is not distant from us now. Because we believe without seeing. There's a greater blessing there. These guys believe what they saw, and they missed Jesus. Huh? I'll show you how much he work he had to put into this to get them to believe. See, you've got to believe that God raised him from the dead or you're not saved. 
you got to know who you're believing in. You got to know he has power over death and hell. If you don't believe he got power over death and hell, how can you ever have authority over the devil yourself? That's why we got so many people sick in the church, so many people backslidden in the church. They don't believe in the power of, of Jesus. They don't believe. They don't know enough to believe enough things about him. But you got to believe all that was spoken of him. So as it says, he said to them in verse 25, after they tell Jesus all this stuff, then he speaks up. He said, fools, how foolish you are, and slow to believe. You're too slow to believe. (laughs) Do you know there are fast and slow believers? Dragging your feet, doubting forever, asking a million questions. Well, I ain't sure I'd go along with that. I don't know if I believe that's slow to believe. Well, somebody come up and tell you you got a formula for a lottery. What is it? <laughs> you ever see them little ads on, <laughs> them little ads on your phone? <laughs> Quick lotto believer. It'll shock you. You know, those ads follow you. Once you click and you're interested, they pop up on every page. Yeah, they, they follow you. So you can tell what believers believe, what Christians believe, by their little pop-up ads on there. I always go there. So how did Amazon find me way over here on this? And they always got the last thing you looked at. You want the, you looked at it, you weren't sure the last time, but now I'm going to show it to you again. You want the, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got to believe everything. You got to, if, if, it's, if it's everything's not true to you, then nothing's going to be true to you. You've got to believe all that's said about you. You know, people, sometimes people want to wrestle with you about, uh, well, uh, yeah, I'm healed, but I still (laughs) heal buts. You're either healed or you're not. No buts. So there's no buts in faith. There's no additions to faith. There's no add to to faith. Well, I've been confessing. I've been saying, well, you're doing it by faith. What's to keep you from doing it some more? shouldn't hurt you to do it for another 10 years. No, I won't say that, but, you know, just to scare them a little bit. Hey, what do you care? As long as you're comfortable, and you know what I'm saying. God knows how to get you in peace about stuff. You can, you know how to wait. He knows how to deliver the righteous out of trouble. You ain't in no trouble. You just letting that bud you because it's bud you. Start learning to be unbud. Get peaceful about stuff. We all are lacking in faith for some things that we need from the Lord. So you need a revelation of him in order to get you over the hump. These men needed to accept that he is still alive, that Jesus and Jesus must correct their thinking in order to complete their faith. So that's why God goes about helping you by teaching you. He might have someone speak to you. He might have the preacher preach on what it is that you're struggling with. You understand what I'm saying? And that's a blessed thing. 
because nobody knows your problem but you and you can listen and get yourself free and you can go on and be free for another week. You know, you dodged a bullet from the devil for one more week. Amen. <laughs> so as the author and finisher of our faith, the faith of the Son of God, he must impart revelation to us. He must reveal himself to us, but not for nothing. There is always a purpose in revelation. When God reveals something to you, you're going to need it. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes you're past needing it. It's to correct some things that are goofed up in your thinking. So Jesus, the teacher, begins to complete their faith. He always does that. So in verses 25 through 28, the Bible says he begins with Moses, and he begins to expound everything. He said, foolish you are and slow to believe all that the pro- everything the prophets have spoken, all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Not glory first before suffering, <coughs> but suffer these things first and then enter into his glory. No suffering, no glory. You're going to prove to God what you believe. Now, you know, when you say suffering, people think, you're on a sickness. We're not talking about sickness. You're redeemed from the curse. Suffering is not the curse. Suffering means there's something in you that God wants to get out of you because he can't use it. So he allows a mean neighbor to live next door to you for 15 years. Or a mean boss to be over you for 15 years. Or, uh, <laughs> I won't even go there. You understand what I'm saying? Your kids give you headaches and problems for a long time. Hmm? Well, God, I believe, oh, you're going to really believe when you get there. You can confess all you want to, but you ain't confessing this away. <laughs> the Bible says if you suffer with him, you'll reign with him. You think Jesus could get up and do whatever he wanted to, whatever his flesh told him he wanted to do when he wanted to do it? No. And it's not like God doesn't prove to you his love for you. You know he loves you. Look at all the good things in your life. So you just focus on your good stuff and forget about what you're going through. Make it of no consequence. Huh? You're not better than he is. We think we can escape testing. We think we're th- we're putting the servant above the master, but we're not above him. Amen. So then, I- revelation takes time. Right? He takes his time to begin to explain to them, and it says here, beginning with Moses. Amen. He began the prophets. He explains to them everything about himself. We want a quick answer to everything. We want cheap revelation, some little quick fix all the time. Revelation is not always quick. Sometimes it's slow. So here Jesus has to take his time expounding to them everything. And he started from the beginning of the Bible. You could say this is Genesis 
that he had taken and leaped to the gospel. Amen. So he expounds to them everything. And I don't think it takes all that. Well, that's why you're still doubting where you could be believing. You have to give God the time that he needs to show you what he wants. Is he not he the author and finisher? Well, why we want to take over and say it don't take all that or I can get this out of here. I can get this. Or, or you recommend something to somebody and they go and listen to somebody else. You understand what I'm saying? Hard-headedness, hard-heartedness. You'll never get your problems solved and your questions answered doing it your own way. They've been doing that. They've been walking for a long way, and now it's probably 10 or 20 miles they've walked, and they still don't have the answers. Emmaus Road represents a road of revelation. It's going to be a walk. It's not, gonna, it's not a hop and a trot. We play God too cheap sometimes. You've got to give him time to do what he wants to do. He, Jesus knows what it's going to take for them, so they need time. And so he began with Moses and all the prophets who explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That's a long trip, folks. Then he said to them, oh, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he was going to keep, he was going to leave and keep going. But they did something that we all need to do. And that is constrain him to stay. Beg him to stay and show you what you need to know. Jesus, don't quit on me. I don't understand this. Please help me to understand this. I've got part of it, I think, but I really don't understand. Constraining him. Anybody who's heard Brother Hagen's testimony about how he was healed, you know, he had that incurable heart disease. He was paralyzed from the waist down. He'd been in a bed for 18 months. And he, he kept turning to Mark 11 and verse 23. He said, I knew my answer was there. He said, because I would get there and I would just stare at that page for the longest time. He said he did that for a month. And he couldn't put it together like these guys on the road. You'll never put it together discussing it in your own head, discussing it with your nutty friends, your religious friends who always try to discourage you from doing too much for God, them people. You'll never get it just talking and trying to get answers and pulling at things. You have to constrain Jesus to tell you. He said, Jesus, now I'm just going to have to be honest with you. I think you're lying to me. He said, I've been reading this scripture over and over again, and I believe my answer is here, but I believe I've received my healing, but why am I not healed? And the Lord pointed out some things, and the Lord told him, he said, you believe as far as you know. In other words, you don't know everything. You've heard this scripture. He'd been working with that scripture for months memorized it, could recite it, but he didn't have revelation of it. Revelation comes from the one who wrote it. It doesn't come from your head. It doesn't come from another person. You can get a fragment of revelation from people who have it revealed, but for you personally, how to use it personally, you're going to have to go to the master. You cannot overlook, jump over Jesus 
And I don't care whose tapes and all that stuff you bought and how much you've invested in Joyce Meyer and Copeland and Charles Caps and all them wonderful people. You don't have to get it from him yourself. You're going to have to get yourself stripped of all your pretense, all your uh, knowledge, all your intellect, all your great stuff that you knew and all of that. And just get hard down on and say, God, God, I'm trying to believe, but it's hard for me. I can't see it. And I'm just in dark darkness here. That's what you do. And you will get your answer. You humble yourself to him. You will get your answer. Brother Hagen said that the Lord pointed out to him about the confession being the, the part of faith that he was lacking. He wasn't saying what he believed. He was reading it. He was meditating on it. He knew it by heart, but he had to confess it. And he, when God pointed that out to him, he said within an hour of confessing that scripture, that he believed he, he received his healing from the heart disease, from paralysis. He listed all the things that were wrong with him. He said in an hour he stood straight up. Next morning he came, he crawled down. He, wasn't, he was still weak. He crawled down to the breakfast table and ate breakfast with his family for the first time. Well, he had, they'd been feeding him all that time. And so we do believe as far as we know. There's more. See, revelation is not knowledge per se, but it's enlightenment. See, something that was dark now, there's something real that transpires on the inside of you when revelation comes in. You get translated from darkness to light, where you used to just have something in your head that you were trying to believe. Now God's come in and he's shown it to you. Totally different concept. You have to be shown by God. You have to. You have to care enough about what it is you're seeking to petition God to do that because it may take time. It's like Jesus started with Moses and the prophets. I guess the guy said, what did we get into now? Huh? You may feel like that. Everybody thinks what they need to take a short time and God's prescription is going to take forever. It does. Time, time fools us like that. So revelation not only always quick, but it may take time to remove doubt. That's what's happening. There's a process going on in your soul where doubt is being erased and faith is coming in. Hope is coming in. Love is coming in. God is imparting all of these things that you need to make that word work for you. So these two men begin in a hopeless state all the accounts of Jesus' resurrection is falling on deaf ears with them. Their hearts are hardened by disappointment and unbelief. That's why it's good to know how to keep yourself encouraged in the Lord. Because unbelief will take you over and you act just like a heathen. You won't even know your name. You understand what I'm saying? You'll, you'll get to the point where you start identifying as somebody who's desperate, somebody who doesn't want what God wants for them. They want anything. You know, you take anything, you know, that kind of thing, and, and, and act anyway. And so God wants to keep us in a place of faith that works by love, 
where you can have some dignity in your life. You can expect God's best and believe it's going to come to you and not lower your expectations of God's goodness based on your mental condition. You have to believe that you're healed all the time or you'll slip back into confessing sickness. You know what I'm saying? And watching your symptoms, you know, wondering, oh, I wonder what's causing this. I, I wonder, you know, I wonder what, I feel that pain. I wonder what that's about, you know. So you start slipping. You start wondering is slipping. Now people, oh, that's normal. No, it's not. Not if you're a believer. Huh? A believer believes all the time. You start letting the devil kick you off with minor symptoms, little aches and pains, and you start being careful about yourself again, watching every. He'll give you something to look at. You understand what I'm saying? The devil said, mm, they entertained by that little pain. Let me give them some. Let me cripple them for a couple of days and <laughs> see what they say. <laughs> you think he won't? You'll be sitting up there, your face twisted, and you'll you be calling 911. You're either going to believe or you're not. It's a decision you make. It may be hard, but I will believe. I believe in what I believe and not what I see. It may not look like it, but I still believe. Got me? You got to still believe and only believe. Okay? You start getting careful. When you start caring for you, that means you don't believe God's caring for you. The Bible says be careful for nothing. Yeah, what's the difference? It's going to hurt whether you think about it or not until you get back over into faith for your healing. So what's the difference? Just don't think about it. Amen? Give you, Do yourself a favor. <laughs> so their hearts are hardened by disappointment and unbelief. So it's Jesus' job to remove that, but we've got to accept the correction, and we've got to accept doing it his way. You know, a couple months ago, I know it was at uh, Tony Bunkley's funeral. I couldn't believe how bad my leg hurt. And you know how sometimes something can be painful. You rest it for a while, it gets better. Nothing got better. And I thought to myself, I said, God, I have really done it now. I said, now I got it. And I knew what I was facing. You got to get off of it. You got to get in nothing but the word. You got to confess nothing but the word. You can't let your mind wander and think about how hard it feels, how much the pain is, how bad, all that kind of stuff. You can't do it. Can you take pain medication? You can. I couldn't. I decided not to. My decision. And don't try to convince me, oh, it's okay. What does that hurt? I decided not to. You hear what I said? Once you make a decision, you stick with your decision. So I decided not to. Why? For me... That's attending to myself. I want God to attend to me. My problem has been I've been attending to myself and not doing a good job. So I, I attended to his word instead of my pain, thinking how bad it was, how long it's been, how long is it going to take. I don't know. You know, your mind drifts over like that. you got to slap yourself and pull your mind back. When the righteous slap me at the time, slap yourself, you righteous person, and get yourself back over into where you're supposed to be. Yeah. But Jesus is the author and finish of our faith. It's his job to remove our doubt, to correct us. So he told them, he said, uh, why are you so slow to believe? He upbraided them 
for their what? Hardness of heart. You need to be told off when you quit believing God. You need to be corrected that you, you have slipped out of faith. Now you're not believing God. Get back over. I know you can do this. We can all believe God. It's hard because you're feeling sorry for yourself. You're trying to attend to yourself. It's amazing to me when we take care of ourselves what a poor job we do compared to what God does. Huh? Give it attention. Rub it. You know. I thank God for faithful believers. Ministers. You know. Mothers who are ministers first. Then believers first. And then mothers second. That'll lay hands on their kids. Instead of rubbing them and petting them all the time when they're sick. Why are you going to pet a sick bunny? You know. Just. This is the way we take care of you. And start it off from the beginning and don't get over into the crazies. You can hug them, but hug them at another time. We still got a devil on them now. Don't get that devil off of there, mom, minister, believer, mom. Huh? And cut the nonsense out. So it's Jesus' job to remove our unbelief, but we have to accept correction. You're going about this the wrong way. Remember somebody <laughs> told me one time. Well, I was going to ask you for prayer, but I didn't want to hear that I don't have faith. I said, "Well, you're going to hear it again. You ain't got it. Where is it? Get up, put it away again." Huh? I said, "If you knew what I was going to tell you, why don't you straighten up and get yourself back up in faith again?" Huh? People, I didn't want to hear. <laughs> what do you want to hear? <laughs> right. <laughs> God's correction always brings wisdom. Always brings wisdom. You get out of stupid and over into wise by God's correction. He does not upbraid us if we lack wisdom, but if we are are dragging ourselves in unbelief, we get upbraided. So James 1 says, If anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally, upbraids not. So he won't get mad at you if you lack wisdom. But if you're refusing to believe, you'll get it. Huh? You deserve to be smacked. He smacked you right out of unbelief over into faith. Huh? He wants us to be quick to believe, not slow. Don't drag your feet when you have the ability to believe. You put your faith in God's word. Jesus will give you just enough to digest at one time. So you see that with these young men. He says, um, let's see, where are we at? He says, verse 28, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he was going to keep walking, but they urged him strongly or constrained him, which means they grabbed hold of him and refused to let him go further. That's what that means. When you need something from God, you grab hold of God and refuse to let go. You don't settle for a half-truth. You don't settle for part of an answer. You don't settle for 
I'm going to wait and see what happens. You don't settle. You constrain him and and expect God to then continue to help you until you get the problem solved. See, I can remember when, when the, the doctors told me that they had done as much for me as they could, and that was it. Insurance was run out, something, you know what I'm saying. That's how they cut you loose, like the woman with the issue of blood. And um, if I had settled for what they told me, I'd be back in the hospital every year. You understand? Just like mental people do. They all get the repeat. You know, they all repeat offenders. But I made up my mind that I knew I wasn't well. They said I was, they didn't even tell me I was well. They said there's as much we can, can do for you. You know, They get tired of you after a while hearing the same story over and over again. And so I made up my mind that I knew I wasn't well. God, there's more for me because I don't feel right. I don't think right. Something's not right. And I'm looking to you to help me and get me 100% well. You don't settle for half anything with God. You understand? Now, and I didn't know anything. When I say that, I wasn't under anybody's teaching. I didn't know I wasn't in a church. This is just revelation. How to relationship with God. See, that's why there's certain things have been revealed to me. People can't talk me out of them now. It's too late because I know it already. It's been revealed to me. Jesus, I got it straight from him so you can't tell me. And it lines up with the word. So so this is something that, that you have to understand is a superior way to go. So Jesus gives them enough to digest at that time. And then if that's not enough, you got to ask for the whole thing. you got to petition God. God, tell me. I don't, uh, you know, I want to pray for sick people. And I'm scared to do it. I don't know what's going to happen. you got to help me with that. He'll help you. He helps everybody with the things that are commanded. So Jesus gives us to enough to digest at one time. We don't accept what's given so far. We don't get more. Got me? So if, if those men had not constrained him to go further, they would have still been in doubt as far as his resurrection was concerned. Because they still weren't understanding. So they admit their lack of understanding. They admit their lack of knowledge by constraining him and saying, no, don't go. No, we want you to continue. We want to hear more. We've got to hear more. We know we're on the right track now. We were confused. When we met you, we were very confused. But now it's getting clearer, but we're not 100% convinced. So Jesus gave them enough to digest at one time. Don't keep begging God to give you, give you a worldwide ministry. Learn how to get your goldfish, you know what I'm saying, to swim right. Now, if he floats belly up, then ask for an anointing. You know what I'm saying? You might be able to do that. You'll never know. But let's not jump ahead of things. Don't let your flesh get involved in this kind of nonsense. You just, you know what you know what I'm saying. You, you take it as God. Have the grace to receive what you have give, been given so far. And then if you don't have all your questions answered, you ask for more. It's a relationship. Sometimes we want promotion and elevation. And the question is, the first thing God's going to ask you, examine yourself. Have you been faithful in what he's given you thus far? 
huh? You've done a godly job. Let me put it to you that way, because faithfulness really is doing what God expects you to do, not what you think is okay to do. Amen. So promotion is always of God. Getting bored and frustrated where you are is not a qualification for elevation. Just because you want something else and you're sick of where you are, that doesn't mean you get a promotion. In fact, that means just the opposite. That means you ain't done yet. Amen? As long as you stick stick your, your steak and it hollers, that means that steak ain't done enough to eat. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> oh, I, maybe you can... Yeah, cause yeah, cause these uh, yeah, I know it's on the tape, so I'm hoping people haven't been listening for long. So praise God. Yeah. All right, little brother, you come back where you can act right now. We don't, we don't let drunks in here. Let them tear the place up. You drank three bottles now. You're still, still acting up. What's up with that? Huh? <laughs> praise the Lord. Your drink is cut off. Praise God. So promotion, let me tell you why God does this. Number one, you got to qualify. You know, you don't want to just get something because you kick and scream. You know, you're not a baby. God wants us to move on to maturity. Why? Because he's going to put you on display. Promotion always puts you on display. And he's not going to display you if your habits are common. If your mentalities, if you haven't learned enough about God's qualifications to grow up out of that and allow yourself to be one that he would be proud to display. And I see this all the time. I see people on Facebook trying to be ministers, and they're rebuking everybody. They don't have a kind word for anybody. And I think you're already on display as somebody who's not qualified to govern, you can't even govern your own spirit. You understand what I'm saying? How are you going to govern the flock of God? The Bible's real clear about that. You must be proven as somebody who has good self-control and exercises it regularly. You got me? Consistently. You've got to please God. You have to do these things in order for God to cons- consider you to be trustworthy. You don't want a hothead preaching and, and governing over people. You didn't have you had a whole church divorce tomorrow. Huh? You had everybody leaving everybody and an adultery outbreak in the congregation. You know what I'm saying? So we must qualify with God. And if you don't have it yet, it's because you don't qualify yet. But ask God to qualify you. He can help you. Are you kidding me? He'll have you grow up and grow out of your bad habits so quick it'll make your head spin. Because once you know your mistake, he sees you correcting it never to go back again. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for a humble heart. So promotion always puts you on display. Is your behavior such that God can trust you and be proud of you at the same time? Does he like the way you represent? If he doesn't, he'll let you know. God will keep you there until you say thanks. I was telling somebody, was telling they were looking for a job, applied for a job, there was an opening, couldn't get, don't get in. I said, treat that job you have now as though it's the best job you ever had. I said, get in that habit. 
Does what's to guarantee if God promotes you, you'll think any better about the next person? It never works that way. So God's word is true. Humility always works with God. Remember that your heart is always revealed to God. You can't fool him. You can't pretend to be nice to people and not love them. Amen? It doesn't work. This is not the kingdom for that kind of nonsense. Because pretty soon you get sick of, I treat them right and they still treat me. Oh, that's not what we are looking for. We're looking for that to not be an issue for you anymore. When Jesus uh, has opened up your understanding, always ask for more. Don't act like you've got it all and shut down from further knowledge. See, people who have it all don't want to know anymore. Amen? God, (coughs) these disciples, in verse 29, they start to ask him to stay. And they said this, says, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's almost evening and the day's over. In other words, it's going to be better for you if you stay. And really, they were wanting to hear more. They were, you know, give, they weren't revealing their heart. See, this is a problem. God wants you to reveal your heart to him. They, what they really need to say was, we're really, we really are ignorant. We want you to tell us more. And so, as they approached the village, uh, they they told him that, so he went in to stay with them. You know, God doesn't care if your motives are lukewarm. You invite him to come in regardless. You understand what I'm saying? As they approached the village to which they were going, well, I'm sorry, when he then, uh, so he went in with them, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And he reco- and he reco- they recognized him. So your the communion table is the place of revelation. That's why we have communion, is to get a revelation of God. In the breaking of bread, their eyes were opened. When we take the bread and the wine, our eyes become open. If you're sick, your eyes get open to the fact that Jesus is your healer. If you take that communion by faith. This is the place of revelation of the new covenant, the resurrected resurrected Christ, whatever you name. You, if you learn how to use the communion table by faith and what God provides there, you will never get stuck anywhere again because you'll understand that it is symbolic of his broken body, broken for you, and you exchange your weak elements for his strength in that area, and you walk away strong in the Lord. You have a personal revelation of the resurrected Christ. And this is why they go to the communion table. This is why. See, I believe this story got repeated over and over and over again everywhere that they went. It's in the the Bible for our posterity. Why? Because Jesus left with us evidence of who he is. And that evidence is found in communion with him. Whether it's the communion table and you symbolically go through that again and receive at the table, or if you commune in fellowship with him, asking him, seeking him, getting to understand him, talking to him, asking him to correct you, help you, tell you, teach you, instruct you, whatever it is. It's the communion and fellowship with the Lord that gives you revelation. You can get some things 
reading the Bible, you can get some things from pre good preaching, all that. But you get your personal understanding of God, who God is in the area where you need it most in your life through your personal relationship and communion with the Lord. Amen. Why don't we stop? Father in heaven, we thank you. We understand, Lord, how important it is for us to open our hearts to you so that you can come in and help us. Lord, it does us no good to try and hide who we are from you, hide our problems, hide our concerns, hide our failures, our faults.